blue. You are listening to your home for Michigan Athletics. 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Locate us on the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. Save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six seconds remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. what this is? It's the tool audiologists use to remove harmful wax buildup from your ears. Studies prove that bad music can increase wax buildup, leading to tone deafness, cultural deficiency, hair loss, pellagra, and scurvy. Fortunately, there's Wax Control Formula WCBN. Not only does it prevent harmful buildup, but it improves your sense of well-being, increases your IQ, clears up your skin, and makes you popular. The choice is easy. You can have this, and she's buying the stereo. or this, tuned to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Good radio for good audio hygiene. Well, uh, good evening. It's a little after 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And uh, I don't think we need to bother talking about Prince. Obviously, that's a tragic situation. Well, yeah, I actually do want to talk about it ever so briefly. Ever um, so briefly. Yeah. A lot um, of media coverage of the Prince situation. Yeah, but, uh, you know... Similar in some ways to the uh, sudden passing of Bowie, but then in other ways, uh, very different. And yeah. as you say, I think more tragic. Bowie's career a little bit longer, um, was able to sort of finalize a uh, a final statement for his fans uh, in a couple of different ways. But uh, Prince's untimely demise uh, seems like, of course, the coroner's report will reveal uh, the, the medical aspects, but I think exhaustion and depression play a, a factor Probably. in this passing. Because he was hospitalized recently for the flu. And right. Lots of people die from the flu. Uh, yeah, I thought year. about Jim Henson almost immediately, another like very extremely talented individual driven to you know push himself all the time to uh, constantly create and uh, just didn't really take the time to maybe take care of himself when he was sick that he should have. Uh, but I think also comparable to Bowie, I think for especially people a little bit younger than you and I perhaps, um, Prince is a hugely monumental figure in uh, creative music, popular music. Um, he a little too poppy for my personal Sure, taste. perhaps. Just, just my personal yeah, taste. I, uh, Much bigger fan of Bowie. Yeah, I would agree. I yeah. would say I'm a bigger Bowie fan, but I would also say that there's a stretch of Prince albums where he did uh, more to infuse new life into the pop charts in America. And certainly I think uh, he deserves as much as, maybe even more credit than Michael Jackson 
for desegregating MTV. Yeah, he was much better than Michael Jackson. Uh, he was the full artist. Yeah. He was a writer, performer, composer, producer. Michael Jackson, very talented guy, but primarily as a performer. Uh, Prince was pretty much the full package, so sad. Uh, but again, it reminds uh, us of the very function of art in the first place which is to bring people together and to celebrate life. And I think when you see all the purple displays and stuff, that there's a lot of love that's generated by uh, a body of work that's as influential as Prince is. And well, it was interesting how it almost stopped the, the, the politics for a couple of days. Obama, of course, was in London when it happened and mm -hmm. just made a, a statement uh, about Prince. You don't even see presidents do that very often. But Obama's a little hipper. Uh, he would have been listening to those albums in college. Exactly. And, of course, I think in the early 80s, Princetta had a run there that was pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's the era I'm I think there to. was something weird, though, about his whole, the segment of his career when he went into the, the artist known formerly as Prince. I was like... That, that makes that's more sense kind of weird. to me than the... Uh, <laughs> Jehovah's Witness aspect of the career, which, you know, it's everybody's free to choose the faith of their choice. Um, but I thought he chose to make a stand uh, uh, about uh, ownership of his music and his identity with his label and by depriving the label or making an issue out of my name is no longer my name, I thought was kind of clumsy, but... I. I it was an interesting publicity maneuver. No longer King Arthur. Right. I am the king known formerly as King Arthur. <laughs> Taff Cap is well, how he was briefly <laughs> referred to, the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah. Um, well, it's just too long to say, yeah. for one thing. <laughs> but, of course, uh, once, you, once you become an icon with a single pronoun describing who you are, Elvis. I'd also say real quickly as Madonna, we wrap whatever. this up that... Uh, I'd, I'd be willing to bet money that Jack White learned a lot from Prince about how to really promote yourself ambitiously as an individual artist, controlling your own material, uh -huh. and therefore your own destiny. Um, even down to the like immediate identity of with a color to an artist. You know, yeah. the red stripes, all you need to do is see that red and white peppermint thing and it's the white stripes even though that band no longer exists uh they were that immediately you know linkable to the colors and all you had to do is have a purple display and everyone knew you were referencing prince over this last weekend yeah and it's interesting how you know even it is in, a royal color even in the uh the famous 60s rock british bands the way the who and the beatles were able to use clothing to establish uh, very unique. Image and identity. Yes, indeedy. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> Prince, yes. Well, we'll await the Prince autopsy. is dead. Uh, who I will hope, the president be? <laughs> I hope drugs are not involved. That's just my I do, personal. I uh, also hope that. Hope on this, all, this whole thing, that I hope it's just natural causes or even maybe uh, related to the, uh, flu symptoms. Uh, just to remind people uh, how dangerous the flu can be. Um, I think the numbers speak for themselves. I think uh, something like 140,000 people in America die every year from the flu, which is why they encourage you to get flu shots. 
and uh, watch yourself very carefully when you, those fl real flu symptoms develop. Anyway, Obama had a kind of a interesting week uh, himself while the... Uh, From the uh, Saudi Peninsula Saudi to Germany. Saudi Peninsula to Great Britain to, to Germany. That's uh, making the rounds. Obviously, almost a farewell tour, so to speak. Injects himself into the Brexit thing, and uh, which is the British exiting the, the EU. That's a referendum coming up in a couple of uh, weeks. Mid-June, I seem to remember. But uh, New York, well, all you can say about the results from New York is the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> New York is called the Empire State. Uh, wonder why. Most famous in building in the world. For many, many decades. For many, many decades, and certainly the biggest building in the world for many, many decades is in New York City, and of course, one of uh, Bernie Sanders' difficulties is it's kind of difficult to run against the generic Wall Street <laughs> when Wall Street's in New York City. Uh, New Yorkers are very proud of what they own, and they're not going to listen to sanctimonious lectures about Wall Street. I even think that Bernie is a little off the mark on calling this a Wall Street bailout because the... Uh, the TARP uh, legislation back in 2008 really was a reflation of the FDIC system. In fact, there wasn't a Wall Street bailout. Um, Lehman Brothers was allowed to collapse. And Paulson, I mean, the facts are quite clear. Uh, Paulson and uh, chairman of the Fed, Bernanke, uh, had an emergency meeting on Friday, September 12th before Lehman was allowed to collapse. Paulson, Henry Paulson, the former Secretary of the Treasury, had been uh, chairman of Goldman Sachs. He had already arranged uh, earlier in the year for J.P. Chase to buy Bear Stearns, which is what happened. They bought it for virtually nothing. Bear Stearns was an investment bank. And one of the things that's gotten lost in this whole debate about the banks breaking up the banks and some of the uh, problems with the TARP and what really happened in the financial crisis, because it is a long story. I didn't actually see the movie, The Big Short, that came out a couple of months ago, which is kind of surprising, but uh, certainly I've yeah, read... Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing that still. Six or seven pretty sub substantive books about what really happened during the financial crisis. But Paulson and Bernanke arranged for Merrill Lynch to be bought by Bank of America that weekend. And the problem was he could not find a buyer for Lehman because Citigroup was bankrupt and Wells Fargo wouldn't buy them. He said, we're not taking on that $40 billion of toxic uh, loans. These were the bundled mortgage securities. Their stock price had collapsed. Uh, Lehman Brothers was an investment bank. But as the financial crisis spread, and I don't know if you recall the word the contagion, uh, what really happened was short-term paper dried up. LIBOR became a word that I knew at the time, but very few people knew anything about LIBOR. 
And what you really had to do is you had to reflate the FDIC system. Wachovia and Washington Mutual were the two banks that had to be absorbed into the system. And there's still a big debate as to whether or not the banks are too big, whether they should be broken up. I wanted to read a kind of an interesting analysis by uh, the managing director of the investment firm Newberger and Berman, Steve Eisman. This is from February 7th about the issue of breaking up the banks. Bernie Sanders was asked about this in an interview uh, with the uh, New York Daily News, and he kind of didn't explain what he had in mind. He'd been kind of making the claim on the campaign trail, and he didn't really have a good understanding of what that would entail. But I did want to read a couple of his observations about the banking crisis. Of course, he goes into the history of why there was a banking crisis, why there was a bubble. He points out, and I'll quote here, the explosion in leverage occurred for several reasons, but one underappreciated factor has to do with psychology and corporate culture. An entire generation of Wall Street executives came of age in the 1990s and 2000s. Their income started to rise after the recession of the early 1990s, going up in virtually a straight line until the financial crisis. Each year they made more. And each year the balance sheets of their respective firms grew. The system fed on itself. Unfortunately, Wall Street mistook leverage for genius. Then came the irresponsible force known as subprime loans. And, of course, a lot of the problems with the banking system, Bank of America bought Merrill Lynch, by the way, but Bank of America had also bought Countrywide. (laughs) And Countrywide had $250 billion of toxic subprime loans, and uh, that's why Bank of America was essentially insolvent as well. Um, Wachovia and Washington Mutual... And this is what I read. In the midst of the financial crisis, there were bank runs occurring out in California involving Washington Mutual. Washington Mutual had $195 billion in FDIC deposits in their bank. And, of course, the FDIC was created following the Great Depression. It was the original banking concept that the New Deal under Franklin Roosevelt and various Treasury secretaries developed to ensure Americans that their deposits were safe, that the federal government guaranteed that you would be paid, because during the Great Depression, the banks borrowed money on margin, and when the bank run started, they didn't have the money. There's a very famous scene, by the way, in It's a Wonderful Life, a movie that we all see from time to time, shown every year around Christmas for a different reason. But, of course, in the movie, I think it's the Bailey brothers. Right. George and I forget the other fellow's name, but it's Jimmy Stewart and Tom Fleming. They're the Bailey brothers. They own the bank. 
And there's a scene at the end in the movie, in the middle of the movie, where where's they- Where's my sh- money? Where's my money? And the mob is outside. Well, I don't have your money. It's in Bill's store. Right. And in this project over here. And then they show the clock ticking towards five o'clock, and Donna Reed is giving the depositors some of their money. And Jimmy Stewart goes, how much do we have? As they shut the door right at five o'clock. And she goes, two dollars. And then Jimmy Stewart's brother, Tom, played by Tom Fleming, you know, averts a heart attack. (laughs) So they can remain in business one more day. And this is what this was about. The FDIC at the time of this crisis only had $55 billion. That's what the Federal Reserve is all, all about. Mm-hmm. That's why they print up money. That's why it's controlled. They control interest rates, the flow of money. It's very, very complicated. And if America breaks up their banks, and by the way, the big banks are a big issue in the British debate about whether or not to exit the uh, mm-hmm. European Union. Uh, European Union, because Great Britain, after New York City, is is the second most important financial city in the world. And if uh, they decide by referendum to leave the European Union, that could have some consequences for their big banks. So the TARP, the breaking up the banks, and... This uh, author, uh, Steve Eisman, goes on to explain why he thinks breaking up the banks is a bad idea. He says that Dodd-Frank has uh, worked. That's the banking legislation named after Barney Frank and Christopher Dodd that came in 2010 after Barack Obama took over the presidency. He writes, under the new regulatory regime, the leverage of the large banks has been reduced while Citigroup's leverage peaked at 33 to 1 today it stands at less than 10 to 1. The Federal Reserve has forced similar reductions in leverage across the board risky proprietary trading desks have been eliminated at banks by the Volcker Rule, part of Dodd-Frank And while the Consumer Protection Board has been around for only a few years, it seems to have made progress in safeguarding consumers from the more egregious practices of the financial services industry. The new system is not perfect. Problems of derivatives, that they can increase risk rather than reduce it, as they were designed to do, has not been completely solved. The so-called living wills. Plans that banks must file with regulatory regulators in case they run into serious trouble uh, and have to be dismantled are not complete. And the regulators will have to deal with some of the consequences of the Volcker rule, which is as reduced liquidity in the buying and selling of bonds and other parts of the fixed income market. Of course, the Volcker rule is named after Paul Volcker former chairman of the Fed who preceded Alan Greenspan. Booms cause busts and vice versa sometimes. We've seen this in the oil sector here in the United States. Mm. Environmentally, I'm adamantly opposed to fracking. Um, I think it's crazy. In areas where the water is 
perhaps going to be polluted on a permanent basis. And I think that the government should make sure if the water is polluted that taxpayers are not picking up the tab. The oil companies are going to have to pick up that tab. They've got the money. Well, and that renders that oil that much more expensive to produce. Sure. And, of course, this boom in fracking has created the plummet in the price. Now many of the marginal producers in the fracking boom that's been going on for five or six years now are going bust. And, of course, the banking sectors in Texas and Oklahoma are probably in much more precarious um, straits than people realize. Well, that and there's also uh, hundreds more meth heads in the Dakotas than there were before. <laughs> exactly. Now, Goldman Sachs, for the record, did borrow money. They borrowed money from Warren Buffett. They got on the phone and said, we need $10 billion of liquidity. And Warren Buffett says, okay, you owe me $11 billion. He made a quick overnight loan at 10%. Goldman Sachs paid up. They needed the liquidity. Warren Buffett, somewhat similar to J.P. Morgan in the panic of 1907, was able to personally bail out Goldman Sachs. Morgan Stanley, by the way, borrowed money from Japan uh, in an overnight loan situation. The there were five investment big investment banks, and two of them were absorbed by traditional multifaceted banks, i.e., Bank of America and J.P. Chase. And one of them was not bailed out. Lehman Brothers. That's what led to some of the panic. Hmm. And, of course, the other big culprit in this whole fiasco was AIG, a quote-unquote insurance company, unquote, that had to borrow $180 billion as part of the TARP. So the TARP is very complicated. I like lots of things about Bernie Sanders, but he has way oversimplified a lot of the complexities of the banking situation. Wall Street bailout is, of course, a sort of derogatory term, a pejorative term to describe what happened by the critics. The people that were irresponsible in Congress in 2008 were the Republicans. They did not pass the TARP bill when it was first uh, brought before Congress. American stock market went down about 10%, and Bernanke and Paulson went to Congress and said, you got three days to pass this bill. If you don't pass this bill, we are going to have to shut down all the banks in the United States. Credit cards are not going to work. ATMs are not going to work. And I kind of doubt anybody's going to take checks. Now, if you are listening out there and you want to think about how you operate. <laughs> if you can't get money out of an ATM and your credit card isn't going to be good anymore and you can't write a check, you better look in your wallet and see how much you got. You might have some money buried in your mattress. I don't know. But the whole system would freeze up for 
quite a period of time. And these financial crises are part of the, one of the really, really terrible things about capitalism. The banking crisis, the subprime mo- uh, mortgage market in the 1990s, well, it, it really got going in, in the 1990s, uh, got out of control under George Bush. He had a lot of incompetent people that were these regulators mm-hmm. that were not checking in on these, uh, what was going on. The heck of a job crowd. The heck of a job crowd. Uh, Christopher Cox, by the way, was chairman of the SEC. Nice guy. He was a congressman, but he was appointed because the Republican Party thought he would be a worthy Senate candidate challenge either Dianne Feinstein, Feinstein or um, Barbara Boxer. Liberal Democrats from California. <laughs> Christopher Cox proved during the financial crisis, according to all of the books that have been written, he didn't have a clue. He was uh, the version of Brownie. Heck of a job, Brownie. Christopher Cox had no idea what to do. And, of course, when the stock market gets wiped out and people lose money, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles, so to speak. But the fact of the matter is 50% of Americans have money in the stock market through pensions. Right. 401ks, IRAs, et cetera, et cetera. And it's very tempting to listen to Bernie Sanders and be convinced that a lot of this sort of loose rhetoric about Wall Street is the way to go. But there's a reason that the United States is the richest country in the world. Not everything Wall Street has done over the years has been reckless. But as John Kenneth Galbraith put it so well, America has a banking crisis every 20 years. Hmm. The problem is, and of course he's a famous uh, economist who wrote some wonderful books in the late 50s, early 60s about American capitalism during the uh, glory years, quote unquote, the new, the affluent society, the new industrial state. This is allegedly, by the way, the, 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 the period in American history that Trump wants to bring us back to. Remember Richard Nixon saying, it's the new Nixon. <laughs> I'm going to sell you the new Nixon. Trump is doing that. He's trying to do that now. It's the new Donald Trump. I'm going to tone things down a bit. Oh, well, that whole recording of uh, I'm a performer, he's he's a performer, he's performing for a certain crowd, he's going to change the performance and he becomes yeah. a national candidate. I mean, well, to that extent, the entire freak show is a performance because we pretend to be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not quite sure that anybody is surprised by any of that. Um. Well, it, it's bizarre that his first foray into the new Trump involves uh, Caitlyn Jenner going to a bathroom in Trump Towers. It's sort of, okay, we're back to this bathroom discussion again. It's well, just, th- that, yeah, that's... Uh, it's, uh, isn't that so bizarre? As an initial gesture, it seems like really designed to fly in the face of the traditional conventional Republican sensibilities about... Uh, homophobia. Yeah. Um, it's, the whole thing is just bizarre. So it's more of a sort of a bitch slap to the Republican establishment than it is a gesture of conciliation to the transgender community. 
Uh, and you know, speaking of you know Wall Street and performing uh, in candidacy, I wanted to ask you uh, what you think might be more damaging to Hillary Clinton, uh, Bernie Sanders is you know trying to link her to Wall Street. Uh, she's a Wall Street candidate, or the Koch brothers uh, over the weekend sort of quasi endorsement that she may be the most uh, uh, you know Electable. qualified uh, yeah. candidate for president. What what's more damning to Hillary, a denunciation from Bernie or a roundabout uh, endorsement? Well, I, I think in terms of the Koch uh, Koch brothers, they probably are worried about their investments, and I think sure. it's pretty well accepted that Donald Trump is going to do some pretty amazingly bad things to the American economy. <laughs> Uh, just for one, he's talked openly about slapping a 35% tariff on China. Uh, that might be a good idea, but I don't think it is. I think it's a very bad idea, and I think you'll see the stock market if Trump is elected. And by golly, he might get elected. Hillary Clinton is not Thomas Jefferson, and she's not George Washington. But you know what? In comparison, she's a pretty steady person. She's not. And she has been able to turn the tables on Bernie, by the way, by raising some questions about some of his ideas. Um, she's been attacked. She's been attacked repeatedly. And she's hung in there. She probably won that debate that preceded the New York primary, which is why she did better than the polls suggested. She's um, got a lead in all of the states in play tomorrow. Yeah, she's going to win at least four of five. I think that Bernie probably has a shot in uh, either Rhode Island or Connecticut, but I think that Pennsylvania, Delaware, and, and Maryland are in her back pocket, her pantsuit. Uh, a Goldwater girl who wears pantsuits is not a threat to America. Right. It's so ludicrous that this is, is how she's portrayed by the Republican Party. And as for these kind of the silliness about the Wall Street speeches, you want me to tell you the truth? I can tell you what the transcripts say. Oh, thank you, uh, Chairman uh, Finkelstein, for inviting me here today as your senator from New York. Right. It's delightful to talk to people that I don't agree with all the time. You know, we have this wonderful charity. We'd love, I'm, it's an honor to be down here. It's all going to be that kind of what we call ass kissing it's not there's no deal being made there's no secret oh you want to pay me two hundred thousand dollars to show up and eat a fruit cocktail salad and some <laughs> crab legs sure that's what the transcripts say uh we're out of time we'll obviously talk more about this next week uh bernie's last stand is probably in pennsylvania we'd like to thank andrew for engineering Yazoo City Calling, coming up next, right here on WCBN, FM Ann Arbor.
world now, you know what's going to be happening. Ain't nothing going to be happening. We are the ones that's been waking up the world. You don't want me to go to sleep. Pull the plug out of you and you'll be dead. I got a computer at home that's mean that was invented back in 1930-something. You know, the piano roll, you steer that. How hip is a computer? 